you would bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for a wonderful evening to celebrate the new life that you give us in Christ. Thank you for doing all the difficult things for us. Thank you for inviting us to have a relationship with you when we have done nothing to to earn that or even to warrant such a beautiful invitation. But God, your love for us is so great, so vast that it it reached across these boundaries of sin and you pull us into your family through the grace and love of Jesus. And so tonight we celebrate that and I pray that you would speak powerfully to our hearts so that we would uncover more and more of the generosity that is the heart of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite Melanie to come forward for tonight's scripture reading. A reading from the New Testament letter of Romans 8, 31 through 32. What then shall we say of these, to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not, who not spare his own son, but delivered him over all of us, how will he also with him freely give us all things? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Where did I get this from? Right here? forgot where I got the mic from, sorry. Tonight is, we, we are looking at Romans chapter 8, and we're looking at the generosity of God, and tonight's big idea is never doubt the generosity of God. Now that may sound like something that's an impossible thing for us to do, but I want us to be encouraged that this is actually a possibility for us. It's easy for us to doubt God. It really is. When we go through tough times, it's especially easy. When we lose our job, when we can't find work, when we don't have someone special in our lives to love, when our special someone doesn't seem to love us anymore. In times like this, it is very easy for us to doubt the generosity of God and think, you know what? God really just doesn't care about me. This past week, I was able to go up to Vermont uh, and speak at a college up there. They invited me to come and speak at a missions banquet, or not a banquet, but a conference. And it was was exciting for two reasons. Number one, um, being asked to speak somewhere like that is is nice. You you feel important when someone asks you. Uh, Number two, uh, we got to stay in a converted barn. So it was, a, it was literally a barn that they converted into a house, and it was so cool. I can give you the Airbnb listing if you want it. Uh, but it, it was fantastic. And while I was up there, one of the other invited guests was a man named Bob, and he had a really special testimony, a miraculous, miraculous healing from pancreatic cancer. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and as I listened to it, uh, the the special surgery and the way God works in their lives, I was rejoicing with him. But at the same time, I'm thinking what some of you are probably thinking right now. Why didn't Sean get healed of pancreatic cancer when we lost him two years ago? It opens up the room for doubt to wonder, is God really generous? Is he really paying attention? Horatio Spafford lived uh, about uh, 200 years ago, or no, 150 years ago. 
And he had a very specific story or a unique story where he had lost his two-year-old son in the Chicago fire. And through a series of circumstances, he was trying to move back over to Europe. And before he was able to go, he had to tie up some loose ends because he was in real estate with the Chicago fire and all those things. So he said, all right, my wife and my four daughters, they're going to go ahead and take the ship over to the house. And while they were traveling across the Atlantic Ocean, their ship sank. And all four daughters died. And he sent a tele- or his wife got over to Europe and sent a telegram back to him and said, um, I'm the only one that made it. And all four daughters had died. And it devastated him. And as he was, you know, a couple months later going across the ocean, or a couple weeks later going across the ocean on his own ship, the, the captain of the ship said that this is about the area where the ship went down. And this when he started to write down these words. These words that say, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You recognize that, don't you? A lot of you do. What a beautiful hymn written in such dark times. So how can we live in this type of world with these types of events and then say something so audacious that would say, never doubt the generosity of God? The reason we can do that is because of these next two verses that we're going to be studying tonight in Romans chapter 8. We're going to see that God proves His generosity to us by giving us approval and power and by giving us salvation And by giving us all things. And we'll start with number one. Number one, God proves His generosity by giving us approval. Should pop up on the screen here. Giving us approval and power. Approval. That's a a big thing, right? We, We want that. Something our condition, our human condition craves is approval. We want the approval of our coworkers and our family our spouse, our parents, our children. And a lot of our actions are even tied to the fact that we're seeking others' approval. Comments that we make online, the way we dress, the way we speak to people, the jokes that we tell, all of these things a lot of times are motivated because we are seeking approval from people. Another thing we seek is power. And we crave it. We want it. We want to have power over the problems that we have at home. We want power over the problems that we face at work. We want power wherever we are. We, we want power over our enemies. Sometimes our enemies are at work, and we need power to, to have victory over this. And sometimes we find ourselves at home, and we feel like the enemy is at home. And so we need power over this. We want also the power to change who we are. Most people want to improve and become a better person. We want power to change who we are. Here's the thing, though. If we are constantly seeking the approval of others, we will constantly live a powerless life. If your whole goal is to seek the approval of others, then you will find out quickly what it means to live a powerless life. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 is where we see that God gives us approval and power. And it reads like this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? 
Actually, if you would just keep that last verse up there. If God is for us, who is against us? So where we get the approval part is this first section right here. If God is for us. So it's, it's asked as a question. So it's not asking, is God for us? It's asked, and we can see that very clearly here, and then telling us that God is for us. He has uh, approved us. And so what does it mean to have God's approval? This is one of those scriptures that can easily be misunderstood and misapplied. Kind of like a song earlier where it says, uh, Hail Jesus, we will conquer in your name. Some people might hear that and think, what do you mean by conquer? You're going to go out and conquer people? Well, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about conquering with peace and having peace rule where um, uh, wrath would normally rule. And so this scripture can be easily misunderstood as well. And some may even envision a conquering army charging in and say, God is for us and claiming victory in, uh, in that way. But the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this letter, was writing to a specific people at a specific time in a specific place, it's hard to say that many times, with specific, <laughs> I jinx myself, with specific circumstances. And so he wrote this to people who were facing hardship. He wrote this to people who were facing persecution and danger and even death. And so he's saying, yes, you will face people who despise you. You're going to face people who despise your faith. You're going to face people who are going to hurt you and judge you and oppose you. But he says, but God... The Almighty God of all creation looks upon you with favor. He has approved you. He is for you. In Jesus, you enter into a relationship with God where God becomes your Father. You receive the Father's blessing of approval. God says, I am proud of you. You are mine. You belong to me. I am for you. You have it all if you have this. Some of us resonate more with Cheap Trick in 1977 song, I Want You to Want Me. You know that song? I want you to want me. My snap's off. I need you to need me. I won't won't sing anymore. But I want you to want me. I need you to need me. I'd love you to love me. That's the entire song over and over. I'm like, that's pathetic. Like, who would want to date that guy? I mean, it's, maybe it's endearing. I don't know. I didn't do a lot of research. But instead of seeking, we resonate more with that, but in seek, instead of seeking the ever-changing approval of people through the way we dress, through the way we speak, through the way we view our body, to how much money we have, to what kind of house we live in or apartment we live in or what neighborhood we live in, instead of chasing the ever-changing approval of people, what God says is you can rest in the approval of God. And God desires us, and He loves us, and victory is ours. So God is for us. In Christ, God is for us. He he is on our side. We have His approval. You don't need anyone else's approval. The second part is, is that we have power. He gives us power. And we get that from the who is against us. This gives us the power we need. No longer are we captive by the approval of others, but we're free to become whoever God's created us to be. If you're always seeking the approval of people, then you're going to be captive by what they say, and you're going to become whoever you think they want you to become. But God said, that's not who I've created you to be. I have uniquely created you as the the you that only you can be, and I'm going to fill you with my spirit, and I'm going to give you a life that only you can do. 
It gives you power over the God of approval. It also gives you power over enemy that you're going to face. You're going to face enemies in life. You will. You're going to face opposition. But if you realize that God is on your side, you can endure and go through whatever it is that you go through because with God, you plus God is a majority. It's a majority. So you win those battles. Last week we talked about you're chosen to win, and that ties into this week as well. God is generous in giving approval for us and giving us power against whatever it is that we face. Never doubt that God is a generous God. The second way God does this is through giving us salvation. The first way is He gives us approval. The second way is power, or the approval and power, and the second one is salvation. At the core of the Christian faith is this. We are in desperate need of a Savior. We need someone who can forgive us of our sin. We've been separated from our Creator as a consequence of the sin in our life, and that sin leads us to a road of death. It's not accurate at all. Can you say, it's not accurate? I like the faith you're giving me here. It's not accurate to say that God is seeking to punish people for disobeying Him. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we see Paul, who's the same author of Romans, write this to a young pastor named Timothy. And he said, this is, a good, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men, that means mankind, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He exposes the heart of God here and he says, God is not wanting and desiring for anyone to perish, but he is desiring for all people to come to salvation. God is holy and pure and he created a perfect world and we've chosen to reject him by trying to become our own gods. That's the heart of sin. That's the core of sin, rejecting God and claiming to be our own. But instead of just writing us off and sending us to hell, as God could have done, Instead, he made the most extravagant display of love by becoming becoming the sacrifice for us. Jesus took our sin and our death, and he gave it all. So there's a sense of relief when we see this, that he is our salvation, that the only one who could truly condemn us has chosen to set us free. From 1982 until 1992, there was the Lebanon hostage crisis. There were over 100 people who were kidnapped during that time. Some of the hostages were reported, uh, reported afterwards that they were taken away, they were blindfolded, and they were told, you are going to die. Some of them even felt the cold metal from the guns pressed against their heads, and they were held there thinking that they were about to be shot, only to, to be kicked or to be laughed at and told to go back to their cell. They faced cruel oppression. They were condemned. Sometimes people wrongly think that's the way God is, looking to punish people. But God is very different. If you want to see the heart of God, all you need to do is look at Jesus. In John chapter 8, there was a woman who was caught in adultery. Kind of a similar situation as a, as a hostage. She was dragged out here and, and there were self-righteous men standing around her, gathering up stones, ready to throw the rocks at her and hit her repeatedly, 
mauling her, maiming her, until eventually she died. What a terrible way to die. But instead, Jesus enters the picture and he starts to confront these self-righteous men with their sins. He says, let the first one of you that has a stone, I mean, that is without sin, you cast the first stone. And he started to write in the ground. We don't know exactly, but we're presuming that it was sins that he was writing. And one by one, they would drop their stones and they would leave. And eventually, they, all, they were all gone. Now, the woman who was kneeling and cowering in fear, about to die, almost like feeling the metal of a gun to her head, looks up. And she only sees Jesus. And Jesus says, where are the ones who've condemned you? Where did they go? Who is condemning you now? She said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I. So go and sin no more. That's the heart of God. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And eventually what he did was become her and our condemnation. He became condemned for us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, we see this part where God becomes, or Jesus gives us our salvation. Pop number, verse number 32 up there for us. So it's talking about God here. It says, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. So Jesus was not spared. He was delivered over for us all. God gave generously to us His precious Son, His most treasured gift, and He gave us salvation in Jesus. See, the the self-righteous in that story, they were guilty, right? Jesus wrote things in the sand and they left. But also the immoral woman was guilty. She had sinned. It wasn't that she was innocent. It was that Jesus was going to die for her sins, and even the self-righteous, their sins, and through faith in Him, They became innocent. Jesus died for them. He proved his generosity by giving us salvation. The the third way, put two fingers up, but the third way that, uh, that he proves his generosity is through this, by giving us all things. So he gives us approval and power. He gives us salvation. He gives us all things. And so Jesus gave everything he had, his life, his death, his obedience, all of that was for us. Everything he did was done in order to bring salvation to the world. God spared nothing because he gave everything. And if he did that, of course, he's going to give us all things, which we get in the second part of verse 32 right here. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how would he not also with Jesus freely give us all things? Freely give stood out to me as I, as I studied this because I, um, I knew that it meant generous, but that's where the title of the sermon came from today. The inspiration for it is that it means to give generously. It doesn't just mean that he gave something because, you know, sometimes you give your kids something because they bug you a lot and you just want them to be quiet. It doesn't, it's not that. It's just this, this generous thing that he just lavishes freely and giving over and over generosity to us. It means to show favor. If it says in this one verse, it says, if God loved us so magnificently that He gave His only Son, of course, 
of course He's going to be gracious to you and freely give in all things. It's not over. It's not over once you become a Christian. Now you have to start earning it because God never wants you to have to earn anything. The heart of God is not for you to earn anything. The heart of God is not for you to earn anything. I did that on purpose. Because we get trapped into this line of thinking to where we think, okay, now I've been baptized. Now it's up to me in order to walk the walk and talk the talk. But that is not the way God desires to have a relationship with us. He has the heart of a generous giver. He is faithful. And the more we are faithful with, the more He wants to give us. Not more we earn, the more we get. The more He sees our faithfulness, the more He wants to give us. So I have a question. Are you being faithful with what God has given you? Of all the things that He has given you, do you still see Him as as the Lord of these things? Are you starting to kind of take possession of them yourself? Baptism is a beautiful thing. And it's a wonderful picture when we go under the water that everything, all of us, is identifying with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It means every area of our lives belong to Him. It means we trust Him with everything. And when we trust Him with things, He starts to give us more and more. Not because we're loved more, not because we're the favorite kids, but because we've shown that we can be trustworthy with what He's given to us. And He will pour out more and more blessings upon us. One of the ways that we can do that too is, is by realizing, wow, I really have this wonderful, precious, powerful gift from God of salvation, and I can't keep this to myself. Caden and Lily both, whenever they were writing their testimony, I have special privilege to be there when they wrote them because they're my kids. And I was moved. Uh, they're not in here, so I'm not embarrassing them now. I would still say it to their face, so there's nothing wrong with this. But I was moved because both of them mentioned in their first draft one of their neighbors by name. I want to share Jesus with this person. And I thought, man, I get nervous thinking about sharing Jesus with some people. Like, what if my neighbor thinks I'm weird if I, if I invite him to church and I bug him? But there's such a purity in a child saying, whoa, look at what I have. Hey, I want to go share this with them. And it was a challenge to me to become more free and eager to preach the gospel, which is at the very beginning of this letter of Romans when Paul tells, uh, tells them he is eager to preach the gospel. God will freely give you all things if you will simply live as though He is your Lord. You can say it with your mouth all you want, but how does your life line up? This isn't meant to be a depressing thing because I'm about to get to some really good news. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, this will be the last verse we look at, you may be thinking, you know what? I really, I, I should be more excited about who Jesus is. But this is the heart of God right here. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We see the, the generosity of God in this verse. And it, and it spills over into our lives. 
in that nothing you did, if you were in Christ, nothing you did has earned God to say or, or, or earned for you the privilege to be called a child of God. God chose to do that while you were still an enemy. He sought you out. He foreknew you as we looked at last week. He is demonstrating His own love toward us that while we were still enemies of Him, we didn't care anything about Him, Christ died for us. Who on earth would do that for you? Who would be your enemy? Imagine Who would, on earth would you do that for? Imagine your worst enemy. When I think of that, I think of terrorists. I think of people that just want to go and wreak havoc on people and just blow people up and just do horrible things. I think of those. When I think of the worst people in the world, I think of that. Would I, even being a pastor, be willing to lay down my life for them and die for them while they stood there hating me? I wish I could say yes, but I don't think I would. But see, that's the heart of God. That God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to prove ourselves to Him. He made the first move. And now He's offering an invitation to us to enter into this relationship with Him and saying, I love you so much that I died for you. And the good news is that after baptism, that's not the, that, that love doesn't stop. That's the same kind of love. That God is still pursuing you. And when you fail even as a Christian you still have this same gracious, generous God that is pursuing you. He's shown you time and again how much He loves you. Why do some people get healed of cancer and others don't? I don't know. Why do some people have relationships that last forever and others end? I don't know all the answers to that either. But I do know this. We serve a generous God that He has proven Himself over and over he has shown us how much He loves us and that we can trust Him. And if we keep trusting Him, then our Heavenly Father will freely give to us abundantly more than we can ask or think. So what we need to do is release the power of God in our lives by remaining faithful to Him and say, Today, Jesus, I trust You. The baptism is a beautiful picture of what we should do every morning. Take a bath. It's okay to laugh. I thought it was, well, maybe it wasn't funny. I thought it was funny. But it's a beautiful picture of what we should do every morning. Baptism is submitting yourself to God, saying, I need you for everything. I, I'm going to fail. I'm going to die if it's not for you. But that's the Christian walk as well. Every morning, it's dying to self and identifying with Christ and understanding who we are in Him, in him that we are no longer separated from God, but we have a loving relationship with Him. We have a victorious relationship with Him. We are chosen to win. We have a generous Father. All these wonderful attributes throughout this entire chapter of Romans are spoken over us that we are heirs with Christ and we have hope and we have victory over sin, that we don't have to live the way of the world and that Romans chapter 6, that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin, that we are free. These are, these are great things, but we we need to spend more time bathing in the truth of who we are in Christ. And if we do that, if we continue to have God at the center of our lives, then we will never doubt the generosity of God because we will see that even while we were hating Him, He chose to love us. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, being generous and loving and kind. Thank you for always um, seeking after us. Even after we have become your children, God, you seek after us to draw us closer to you. And I pray, God, that you would uh, remind us over and over again that we are loved and that we are treasured and that you are a God who is worthy of our trust. In Jesus' name, amen.